the Secret Circle. Welcome to the Secret Circle with me, Dr. Luke Decker, the podcast where I chat with authors, filmmakers, musicians, and more about the art of their craft and let you in on some of their secrets. Uh, today's guest is forensic expert Jim Frazier, uh, and today he's going to let you in on some of his secrets. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, Luke. Should I say Dr. Either way works. I'll take both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm sure you should. Uh, yes. Um, I, I'm glad we finally got you here. For for anyone, you know, who obviously isn't here wasn't here. We we were having some technical issues with browsers and things, but we've made it work. We've made it work. Yeah. Technology is our bitch. Um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Jim. Um I, I, I'm always fascinated by by your work. You have a bunch of a couple of books and a lot of you know research material on on the stuff that you do, uh, and it's incredibly fascinating. You know, working within forensics and crime and real life crime as opposed to the fictional stuff that a lot of people I know and I myself do. Um, but and I, I feel like there's an art to there's an art to your you know to to your job as well. You know that this path that you've chosen. Um, but I'm interested firstly to kind of find out what made you decide to go into this? What, like, take us back to, to young, to young, young Jim and, uh, and, and, and let us know kind of, yeah, what was the, what was the inspiration to, to go into this field to become, you know, a forensic expert and, you know, work with crimes and cases and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I get asked this question a lot and it's a very, it's got to be a very disappointing answer. <laughs> because in the 70s, when I graduated, I should say the late 70s, not that old, um, there weren't many jobs around. And mm. I, I trained to be uh, a biochemist specializing in clinical work, but there weren't any jobs in clinical work. And I, uh, I'm, I'm sure my memory is not completely accurate. My recollection is that I was only offered one job, and that was a job in the Metropolitan Police Forensic Science Lab in London. Mm. So mm. I took the only job I was offered. Um, and that's where I started. So this is, this is we're talking the, uh, you said late 70s? Yeah, yeah, in 78 was, I started in London. 78, okay, so what was, what was working with the police in the 70s in London like? Well, probably just the way you imagine it, to be honest, if you get any kind of sense of police developed. Um, I mean, there was, a, there was some quite smart cops there, and it was the, a really big lab. So in, mm. in, in kind of scientific terms, it was the place to work in the UK, and many people would say is the place to work in the world. So um, I really cut my teeth there, mm. you know, monthly trips to Old Bailey, um, going to crime scenes, regularly giving testimony, dealing with really you know tricky cases and tricky lawyers. Um, mm. The cops um, could be a mix. Um, you know, you had the usual uh, lags, blags, and slags, and uh, all that <laughs> fantastic London rhyming slang. You know, he's yeah, he's had that away on his toes and all that stuff. And yeah, they did talk like that. You know, it was. Yeah. Um, uh, and then at the other end when got what the more senior cops in fact i was just writing about this the other day the superintendents who were the sios the senior investigating officers the rank that respond that investigated homicide mm. 
not typical for the rest of the UK, but then the Met is not typical of the rest of the UK. They, um, a lot of these guys wore pinstripe suits and full cutaway collars and very unstated ties. And looking back on it now, and, and quite aggressive aftershave as well, I should add, yeah. to bring out all the senses. And a lot of the, they dressed like kind of lawyers or kind of senior mm. businessmen, which I imagine that's what probably aspired to be. Yeah. Um, it, it was a very different world from now to give you a, a summary of that answer. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot, a lot of the cliches that you see on the TV, I tell you, if you watched, uh, I, I don't recall the title of this program, mm. but if you watched the recent drama documentary about the Brinks Mart robbery, mm. um, it was, I thought that was fantastic realistic. I mean, the language was spot on, the attitudes were spot on. Um, and I remember that case really well. I didn't work on it, but I knew the scientist. She literally sat next to me and, and a desk right next to me who dealt with it. And uh, yeah, so watch, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called, something gold. Uh, uh, that will give you a, a pretty accurate um, reflection of what what the Met was like in the 70s. Yeah, I think the show was called The Gold. I think that might be the, the gold. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, yeah. I, and I would, I mean, I was, I was, um, flooded with nostalgia as I, yeah. as I watched it because <laughs> it's a great story anyway. Yeah. And uh, everything else just seemed to be, and uh, the characters, the people they picked to play the various characters just seemed to fit perfectly. Nice, including what, all, why, including all the all the and uh, all the uh, standard misogyny and all the rest of it. So right, right. So it was. It was it's. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I I feel like I should watch this show. Um, oh, you should definitely watch it. Yeah. What? Um. Because there is kind of a resurgence, a little bit. Not resurgence, but there's a a trend rather of of you know doing sort of eighties uh, and and I guess now nineties. Uh, police procedurals that's that's becoming vogue because we're now so far beyond the 80s and 90s that now that's a that's now a historical period <laughs> um yeah. but uh, which is a bit depressing um but what 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 was it about or, or yeah what was it about london at the time and even maybe so today that makes that such a, a pivotal and important place for you know the the work that you do well Everything that makes London that bit different from everywhere else in the UK. It's mm. bigger. It's more diverse. Uh, there's more. There's more going on. Uh, more people up to all sorts of different things. I was working yeah. in a very big lab. I mean, the labs I worked in uh, subsequently you know, were were quite small. The lab in Glasgow, for example, I think had about I think it had about fifty people in it. Uh, I didn't yeah. work in Glasgow. I worked in Edinburgh, which was even smaller. But even there, it was 300, 300 staff in the in the Met Lab. It was the biggest lab in Europe. Yeah. Um, so there was a constant stream, um, of a very diverse range of crimes, mm. um, from violence, sexual crime, organized crime, you know, uh, money laundering. You know, uh, I mean, I some of the organized crime I dealt with without a doubt is what kind of taught me my trade so you know mm. you need to deal with a few 
kind of professional cases involved, sorry, a few cases involving professional bank robbers. Mm. These are guys who in those days, I mean, I, sorry, I say this quite a lot, but this is these are the days when people stole cash. Yeah. You know, now you don't need to steal cash. You just skim credit cards or, yeah. or get involved in some kind of uh, digital fraud. But these guys went uh, masks, uh, shotguns, handguns, mm. You know, framing cars, shots into ceilings and leaving with loot and then dumping the car, setting the car on fire, having another car. It's all classic, mm. um, old style heist stuff. Um, yeah. But they were, because they were professional criminals, they had, they had really good lawyers. And right. because they went, because they went multi-handed, Mm. You, I mean, the, the the day I remember when I think about giving evidence in one of these cases, I'm standing in the witness box, and in front of me, well, in the dock there are four people behind. Uh, uh, that's behind. In front of them, there are four leading counsels, four QCs, four mm. four juniors, four sets of solicitors. Jeez. You know, and you then you then get you're there for hours on end where. You know, Multiple defences are put to you. Almost every defence conceivable is put to you by different mm. people, which wouldn't happen in the normal case because yeah. a, a judge wouldn't allow it. You know, you can't say, you can't say I wasn't there, and if I was there, it wasn't me. As anyway, <laughs> you you can say I, I wasn't there or it wasn't yeah. me. But if yeah. you've got four people, you, the first one can say I wasn't there. The second one can say it wasn't me. It was him. Mm. The third one can say. Um, we don't think you're an expert in the evidence you're giving in. And right. the next one can say, we don't, we don't care if you're an expert or not. The science you're using is crap. So you right. get questions. I'd missed out, of course, the critical defense in, in all of these cases, which is the evidence was planted. Because yeah. you're dealing with a fine squad here. And the flying squads are, when I think back on it, and it's only when I think back on it, I think the water is there as everybody believed them to be, mm. and that's why when that's why my evidence was so important because yeah. I, I was one of the few people there that they thought was telling the truth, and, and, and <laughs> although they didn't treat me like that, they treated me as if I was just one of the team, and yeah. you would get reg regularly abused and accused of being incompetent or unscientific or yeah, just. You know, racist on one on one instance. Right. Well, you know, so, um, so when you're doing all that kind of stuff, if you can get through that and not mm. with heads, there were some people in the lab who were senior to me. So I was yeah. only in my twenties, who refused to do these cases because they were too difficult. Uh -huh. um, but once you get the hang of that, I'm not. Yeah. I don't. I'm not saying for a second that ever gets easy. Yeah, but. You kind of learn what you're doing, you know, and then yeah. after that, you you kind of reason. Although you always go into court, I always go into court a bit kind of because you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, once you've done a few of these trials and you're prepared for them properly, you know, you can within reason you can take on anything. Yeah, I I love that. I, I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that in a way, because it's it's like I was saying earlier. There's a there is an artistry to to the work that you that you're doing, and part of that is you know you had to you had to learn to 
deal with those situations and get and get better yeah. at that particular part of the of, of the to, job. You have to learn. You have to learn the craft. Yes. I mean, so what skill, is? How know, did you teach yourself the craft or learn that? How did you? How did you do that? Well, the, the first thing is I had uh, the answer to most problems like that and other wider problems is you know if you're surrounded by good people you're in a good place to start with and I was yeah. I had around me some fantastically skilled um, mm. uh, scientists and expert witnesses now some of these people were far braver than I was some of mm. these people quite quite liked an argument you know I didn't go looking for arguments I, I would right. basically hope I'd get in there I'd give my evidence you know there might be a bit of tussle over exactly what it meant there might be a bit of discussion about whether I was right or not, but I didn't look for arguments. But it was, yeah, <laughs> I worked with a couple of people who were so skilled at this, they enjoyed the arguments, <laughs> you know. But so, but the thing is, learn from them. And it's, I mean, one of my rules is never pick an argument in court, just don't do it, right? Um, because there's a very, very high chance you lose it. Because right. the, the people on the other side of that argument are people who argue for a living. Yes. That's what they do. That's what lawyers do. Yes. They argue for a living. They, but you go to them and you say, this is my position on this. I've been arrested for this, but this is my position. And they figure yeah. out the best way to present that, to diminish any other possibilities, and so on and so forth. So um, learn that you, you learn the really simple rules. Get there on time. Make sure you've got yeah. your file. Do you know what's in the file? I mean, I've missed out the first rule. Know your job. Yeah. I mean, this is not this is not a trade to get into yeah. if you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Bluster in court doesn't work. You know, I'm I'm a bit of uh, with the with the Donald Trump trials at the minute. Mm. Donald, he's going to jail. All that all that kind of um, grandstanding and crap that Trump comes out will not work in the witness box. It no. just will not work. Um, yeah, no. And you can't go. So you then, so then, so the, the basics are know your job. Mm. And that includes knowing what an expert witness is, not just a scientist, yeah. but a yeah. scientist who goes to court. So you need to understand a yeah. bit of law. You know, get there on time, dress for the part. Everybody thinks mm. you everybody thinks you should be dressed in a suit. That includes women. Uh dress for the part. Answer the question, not the question mm. you would like to answer. Not the question you think is coming next. So, like all of our when, MPs. <laughs> yeah, well, these these guys are they get they recognize the question and then say what they want. Yeah. Um, so answer the question. When you've answered the question, shut up. Yeah. Uh, and don't say anything else. Yeah. Um, then there is it gets increasingly subtle as you go on. Then it's about the choice of words that you use in the question. Mm. And there's a critical difference between um, not being – the trick is not to be right all the time. I mean, this is my take on it. Right. Um, yeah, I, I aim to be right all the time. But sometimes you, you can never be quite certain of that. What you can't – what you mustn't do is be wrong. And right, there's a, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. subtle difference. There's a subtle difference be, to, between being not wrong and being right. You know, yeah. so if you nail yourself down, if you say a knife weighed a knife, um, a knife, the blade of a knife uh, was 106.3 millimeters long. Mm. In certain circumstances, you've set yourself for a fall. 
because you you probably can't measure it that accurately. Yeah. So if somebody picks you up in that tiny little point and says, was exactly 106.3, you then have to say kind of yes or no to that. Um, right. Now, I avoid all that by basically saying the knife was approximately 106 millimeters long. Right. And if they said, is it exactly 106? And I would say, well, it depends on what equipment you use to measure it. But, you know, using a rule in, a, in an everyday thing, it was 106 mm. millimeters long. It doesn't matter. Right. This is, these, are, these are games to try and catch out. Right. Um, and the, the general tactics that a lawyer would use uh, would be, um, I, I guess there's a number of options, but let's, I'll describe three of them. The first, mm. the first fork in the road that a lawyer faces is, am I going to cross-examine this witness? Mm. Why, do they, why do they have to make that choice? Well, cross-examining the witness might make the situation worse for them. Mm -hmm. If my evidence is very good and, I am, and they don't know me, I mean, they might know me, but it's less likely. And in London, in Scotland, the lawyer's got to know who you were because it's a smaller country. Um, in London, you know, you, you did sometimes bump the same, but not so often. Well, mm. often the same defence lawyers, but same prosecution lawyers. So the first is should I should I argue with it? Mm. Um, because if I argue with it, it may well be that if there's a skilled witness, mm. that they will actually come out sounding stronger. Right. And the jury will think the evidence is stronger. So very often what happens with what well, you get very good evidence is that the prosecution leads their side of the case and the defense mm. don't ask any questions at all. Right. Because to ask questions is simply to reiterate in the mind mm. how significant the evidence is. So that's the first, right. that's the first question. The next one is, if I am going to argue with them, what am I going to argue with them about? Um, it's generally a bad idea to argue about facts. Mm. A blade that's 106 millimeters long. Mm. Better to argue about something subjective, like mm -hmm. this knife I've made this cut. You know, in a in a piece of, and you know, or this this shoe could could have made this mark, or this blood pattern could be explained by this. That's subjective. Yeah. It's a bit more squidgy, and the the kind of question, the only question a lawyer needs to ask in those circumstances, and they mm. regularly do, is if I said, you know, it's highly likely that the explanation for this blood pattern is, this, they might just they might only be one question, which might mm. be. Along the lines of, um, uh, is it possible that this is the explanation? And that's an mm. alternative. And I, I will, in certain circumstances, I will have to say, yes, that is mm. possible, but my explanation is the most likely. Now, all they need is me saying that's possible. Then when they sum up to the jury, they will say, Herbert, Mr. Fraser said, this is possible. Yeah. They yeah. ignore the fact that I said it was likely, you know. Right. I, I talk, it's all about that. So I, I, I'll, I'll kind of stop there or pause there, but you can see it's increasingly subtle yes. as you go yeah. into it. And that includes how you write your report. Right. Because that, that in the witness box, although it's a bad idea, you can adjust words. You can say, well, let me explain it again. Of course, it's in black and white in print. It's, yeah. it's much harder to adjust. Yes. So you've yeah, got to do a lot true. of thinking 
you've got to do a lot of thinking. I mean, the general rule that I that I use is the when you write your report and when you're uh, and you don't need to sit and think about this because it kind of becomes automatic. There should never be a question you get asked in court that you mm-hmm. haven't already anticipated. Right. You sh- it just shouldn't happen. Or any kind of crazy explanation, you should have, have thought about that. Mm-hmm. And it becomes kind of routine and you don't, you don't literally need to think about it because yeah. they're kind of sitting at the back of your mind. But, that, but lawyers are quite good at coming up, even in those circumstances, with questions that you didn't anticipate. So there's a certain yeah. amount of live performance there. And it is a yeah. performance. You know, yeah. that you think, ah, I didn't think you would say that. What's the answer to that? Right. Then again, you have to answer it live. You have to get the words right. You have to get yeah. the balance right because you might be in the middle of a discussion about something else and you need to, in that moment, find words that that, that aren't going to hold you to ransom later on. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that being incredibly difficult, which means you really have to be on point uh, this whole time. So, yeah, well, go on. And it's exhausting. Oh, you I know, can you imagine. You have to be on point. <laughs> and it is, you're even, even if you're only in court for half an hour, you come out, I don't realize it, but you're so tense. And then you yeah. come out, you start to relax, and all of a sudden, you're exhausted. Yeah. I mean, I gave evidence yeah. in the old, I, I gave one evidence at the old Bailey. Yeah. A, a serial rape and two murders. And I don't mm. even remember going home that night. I, wow. I, my, I, I just kind of somehow wandered to the nearest tube station yeah. and, and wandered on. I, mean, I don't recall, recall when I mean, my brain just wasn't, I was like a, a, an automaton. Yeah. You know, my brain was just mush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know I can imagine. So, it, so we kind of like it, it's fun to kind of cover the the you're on the stand that kind of stuff. Let's go back a little bit before then. So, let's you know you're using the example of of uh, you know bank robbers and things like that back back in the day. Um, a case a case drops in your lap. Let's let's say we'll use that. Let's say it is a bank robbery. Where do you come in in the investigation? So what what is your talk us talk me through your role um, and what you would do with with that sort of job? Okay, um, I mean, bank robbery is not that common these days, but they do occasionally occur. Um, what, what would that happen is that somebody you wouldn't tend to go to the scene of a, a bank robbery. Um, mm. Occasionally, you might if it's a shooting. Um, but okay, let's say there's a shooting. Let's happen- say there's a shooting. Okay, well, that is, okay. I, I'm not a firearms expert, but a firearms expert might go to the scene to try right. and figure out where the shots were fired from. You know, if the bullets have ricocheted, mm. uh, they might want to go and calculate some trajectories and say, well, this is where the shot was fired from. Mm. And then they, and, and if they've not found the bullet, the bullet might be over here and this is where the bullet is and so on. Yeah. I, I, my area was more in armed robberies, was around body fluids. Um, okay. Yeah. Blood, uh, textile fibers, hair. So it was all that trace evidence. The clothing would come into the lab um, with a, uh, a kind of narrative about the case, some mm. kind of idea of uh, where to begin. The first thing I would do would be to pick up the phone and talk to somebody who was involved in it and say, right, mm. okay, what? Because very often, in the course of a couple of days, things can change quite a lot. So they might yes. send it into the lab. 
excuse me, they may send it into the lab and they've somebody gets injured at the scene um, and they've arrested one person. They know there's more than one person involved. Well, within yeah. 48 hours, so the files with me have got one person in custody, but within 48 hours, they might have another two in custody. Right. I don't I don't know that yet. There's always a bit of a lag time. So the first mm-hmm. thing to do is pick up the phone, understand what people are saying, understand what people admit to or deny. Mm. Pretty much in these roles, denied everything. Yeah. Um, but if said, you know, I was wearing that balaclava. Mm. The, the point going over the top trying to prove the whale in the balaclava because they've admitted wearing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so you, there's, a, there's a tension that you've got you to basically, that the focus is to find science that answers mm. questions that's relevant to the investigation. Yeah. So how does who was the go on? I was gonna say how does it how does it uh, get complicated when you say that you know, someone's wearing a balaclava and they admit to it straight away? How does that complicate an investigation, or or can that if 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 we know they are a suspect, maybe they are someone who actually did do something, and they're admitting to wearing that thing as are they using that as like a shield to like avoid getting getting you know getting hung for the hung well, for the crime because oh yeah of course I wear that well, it's mine. Yeah, yeah. Well, that no. Well, no. The the, the basic explanation for that is that it then negates any evidence you find on it. Mm. But if you've got other evidence, so for example, if you've got CCT of somebody who's six foot four tall wearing a blue balaclava, yeah, and then you find a balac, and then you find a balaclava at the crime scene or nearby, because yeah. often they're dumped nearby, and then somebody yeah. says, "Oh, yeah, that's mine. I lost it the day before." Um, admitting something like that is a way of negating evidence. You know, somebody yeah. denies being at a crime scene and you find their DNA there, yeah. they're in trouble. They're going to have to come up with an explanation of why yeah. their DNA was there. Most people will admit being at a crime scene. Well, I'm, mm. I'm generalizing a lot here, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Most people will admit being at a crime scene, but deny that, you know, that they were in a particular room or they came out a particular act. Or, you know, they say, oh, yeah, well, I was there the day before. Of course, I was talking to her before. It's nothing, I, I didn't kill her, you know. Right. Um, but then the pathology might suggest that, that the victim was killed not that day, but before, or other circumstantial evidence might suggest, you know, like, you know, uh, dated, dated newspapers or the fact that, she, that the victim hasn't accessed this. In 24 hours might suggest that they were 24 hours previously. So there's all yeah. those kind of complications. So it's quite a tricky, quite a tricky course to navigate for a, yes. a, a, someone who's accused. But one of the easiest ways to navigate it is to basically admit as much as possible, short of actually um, admitting the right. crime. And yeah. sometimes that works. Where it tends not work you know the classic one is oh yeah uh, yeah i drop i drop I, for some reason i'm talking about women here but most i was going to say most, most victims of murder are actually young men but yeah. you know oh yeah i dropped him off at his house you know so that was the last person to see them alive yeah and then they disappeared you know again all that can be reinvestigated now you need to know that story as a scientist to mm-hmm. kind of figure out what's worth doing and what isn't worth doing. Because the truth of the matter is that 
It's an awful lot of cops, and there's not that many French scientists, and most forensic mm. scientists are run off their feet. You know, I mean, mm. I went, when in, again, not in the 70s, but in the eight, when I, at the peak of my busyness in London, let's say, and uh, towards the end of the, uh, the, the 80s, um, mm. I, I, mean, I can remember working on six murders all at once and, Jeez. you know, half a dozen rapes and a, and a couple of robberies. You know, yeah. so they're all going on at once. There's only one me. Um, yeah. But there's, every one of them has got a dedicated investigation team. Yeah. And they're all looking for others. And I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not saying that's impossible, but that's the scientist, the forensic scientist is a bottleneck in this process. Yeah. You know, there are, there are kind of rate limiting steps. So until, you know, that's why it's so important that you establish that what you're doing is worldwide. When I worked in Edinburgh, um, which was from about the uh, from from about the late late mid eighty nine to mid nineties, mm. um, I, I reckon a third of the work we were doing is a complete waste of time. Wow! Because the because because the cops they just saw us as somewhere to dump things. They didn't. There was, right. there was very little dialogue about what needed doing, and that dialogue is absolutely critical. Yeah. Um, uh, most of my dialogue when I worked in where I sorted these things out in Edinburgh was yeah. with the procurator fiscal because in because that's in in the police investigate cases in Scotland, but the person who really calls the shots is the prosecutor. So if yeah. the police haven't done something the prosecutor wants, they just say I need you to go back and do that. Um, so I would phone them and say, "Would you want me to?" Do? I would essentially, for the most part, ignore the cops. <laughs> Um, uh, some of the cops were very good, but a lot of them were really weren't very good. Um, yeah. So the guys who weren't very good just gave me a hundred items and said, "Get on with it." I would Oof. immediately phone the procurator fiscal and say, "What's what I need to do here? Important." Yeah. And they yeah. would say they would give me the sort of information like, "Well, he, he admits being at the crime scene and being with the victim, but what he doesn't admit stabbing them." Say, and then right. you think, "Okay, I'm looking for blood and clothing." I'm, I'm look, we're looking for fingers, a weapon, yeah, and, and stuff like that. So you focus it down immediately. I suppose, kind of a, a slight, a slight pivot, but on the same point is, is you know, you give, you give, you you advise, you, you haven't, you know, advised writers and stuff like that um, in in the past. And um, I know I chat, you, I brought you on the CWA a long time ago for a really interesting chat about, you know, about your about your work. Um, and the CWA for anyone listening is the Crime Writers Association um, in, uh, yeah. in the UK. Um, so, kind of t- looking at like fiction, you know, I I'm I, I love crime fiction. I don't I don't read a lot of police procedural stuff, but I do like a good number of it. I you know I like a good Ian Rankin novel. Um, but you know, there's there's a lot of for anyone who doesn't know, I guess in the states it's the same. There's a bunch of bunch of cop shows, whether that's the you know shows like Elementary or Castle or over here. There's things like. Uh, Luther and Blue Lights and that show with the people who do the cold cases. I, I can't remember what that one's called, but everyone everyone liked that one. I, I didn't, but a lot of people did. That, so uh, actually, that's the ones I liked if it's the case. Yeah, Is that the one with um, Nicola. I think so. It? Line of Duty. Yeah. I think it's called Line of Duty. No, no, I don't like Line of Duty. I never. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't be. Doing I might that. be getting that mixed up, but I'm sure someone in the comments <laughs> is gonna be like, "That's not the show you're yeah. talking about." But anyway, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but um, there but are some interest... very good cop shows, but there's an awful lot of not yes. good ones, I think. So I think what's interesting to me is I understand, like, so you mentioned earlier that you your role is kind of like a bottleneck and you've got a lot of work going on, which means you're, in some ways, it sounds like you've probably stretched rather thin. In a lot of shows and books, they they sort of rush the forensic stuff. It's sort of, you know, there's that that cliche of, you know, oh, can you rush this for me? And it'll, okay, fine, I'll have it done for yeah. you in a couple of hours. Um so I guess the, what's interesting to me is is what's your take on on the on the function of the 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 role of forensics within fiction and where are you okay with it maybe bending reality for the sake of, and speed of of a story or where does it sort of in your opinion maybe break a story too much? <laughs> well, I have to say I'm I'm kind of spectacularly indifferent to this issue because yeah. right fiction. I have advised mm-hmm. quite a few authors yes. um, on, you know, some particular set of facts. They're usually quite small. Yeah. It's usually a detail about, you know, often they often I get about pathology and I'm not a pathologist. So I always there's always a caveat, which is I'm not yeah. a pathologist, but I'm I'm fairly sure this is the answer. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. rigor mortis comes in so many hours and disappears and so many hours you know that i know yeah. that kind of stuff so but if i say you want detail you need to find a pathologist to give you a, a detailed answer um now i don't i don't i don't watch that much crime fiction i have there is some good crime fiction uh, uh I, I mean the classic ones are things like war and um, yeah kind of breaking bad and uh, i mean i'm going back a long way now there are some the one that we were talking about, the cold case one, I thought yes. the first series of that was great. I loved that, but I then realised when I watched the next one, I didn't even watch one in the next series because I thought I've seen all this. It's exactly the same formula. It, yes. That was character driven, as far as I could see. Um, yes, and of course, lots of these things are character driven. I, I find that I find the the repetitive use of the same kind of character a bit more tedious than. And annoying than getting the yes. forensics wrong. Uh, the problem with the problem with forensic work, unless you want to be super clever about it, is that mm. it kind of undoes, undoes all the kind of classic kind of plots, doesn't it? You know, I yeah. mean, you know, if you if you pull together DNA and and uh, digital evidence and and basically yeah. physical forensic evidence you know it doesn't leave many <laughs> gaps in a story that you for you to manipulate because that's what you're doing i mean I, yeah. okay my take on this and you can tell me if i'm wrong is that the 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 trick of that kind of book the kind mm. of who done it type book is mm. to say to simply not reveal a critical piece of information, but, yes. but not reveal to the reader, not not let the reader realize that that is critical. They don't, they just pass over because you've drawn their attention to something else. Yes. Um, and and then you took, you know, you then reveal that later on. And I'm not saying that isn't, I mean, that can be very clever sometimes. But I suspect very often it's not that clever. It's, it's about structure and yes. planning. Yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, I, I, there was a time when I used to kind of write 
you know, throwing the remote control across the room when I saw some of this stuff. But and yeah. it doesn't bother me that much now because it, it just, it's just entertainment. I mean, if it's ludicrous, yeah. then da, you know, I'm not interested in that. Quasi realistic, then that's all it needs to be, isn't it? It, it yeah. just needs to be enough yeah. for your average reader, and I am not your average reader, um, to be, <laughs> uh, you know, sucked into the sucked into the alternative reality. Fiction yes. is an alternative reality, isn't it? That, that's yeah. what it is. You're making this stuff up. It yeah. just has to be suitably plausible, certain kind of reader. So I guess the key thing is that you know your reader. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know what kind of reader you're going for. But I'm trying to think of um I, I, there was a great there was a great show which wasn't a forensic show, which I loved that it was brilliant. Now it had my, who's the guy that was in the office and then played did he play Frodo? Martin? Oh Martin Freeman. Uh, yes. Martin he was Freeman. Liver- he was in a he was in a show about a, a, a kind of beat cop. Yeah, the responder, wasn't it? Is that it? Uh, yeah, that was brilliant. That yeah. was absolutely brilliant, I thought. And so I, what worked not, about not that com- show for you? That that's what that's what I'm interested in. What what made that work what for it, you then? It just exposed the kind of people that, that cops deal with, the kind of yeah. compromises they have to make, lives yeah. they have to lead, um, yeah. the culture that they work in. And and just exposed all that. You know, how he got? Yeah. I mean, I'm not suggesting that that's what every cop experiences. Of course not. <laughs> but it just kind of it just shows you how that if you work on the edge of criminality, you yeah. can get sucked into criminality. Right. Um, right. It's not. It's not quite bring back. You know the kind of yeah. Shakespearean yeah. good guy becomes devil. But you know. Yeah. Most, most, I mean, there's a phrase, the an academic phrase that's used, which I think really sums this, this kind of thing mm. up, particularly old style policing, particularly, I was talking about the flying squad and there's, you know, I don't even know if there is still a flying squad in the Met anymore, but the flying squad have always had a terrible reputation for yeah. corruption. And they yeah. have, the, there is a phrase in academic policing literature called noble cause corruption. This is when a cop knows who did it. They know who did it. Now, they may or may not actually know, but in their mind, they did it. That then yeah. justifies the next steps that they take, like planting evidence or fitting somebody up or whatever. You yeah. know, it's a, it's a kind of distorted sense of justice. Yes. Um, and that still exists. I'm not suggesting that it's rife. But you only have to look at the Met now to see what the state is in, in terms of yeah. history of it. Um, and I came to the conclusion when I finished my last book that I must have been a useful idiot on more than one occasion in some cases where I found evidence and gave evidence and it was planted. It's almost impossible to, to conclude otherwise. Yeah. Um, what can you give me an example of that? Because I, I find I was going to ask that earlier. Like, how how can planting evidence thwart, and how do you how do you recognize that? Because I find that quite interesting. Okay, let me give you the let me give you the the starkest and most ludicrous situ- situation that I've come Perfect. across. I haven't come across 
what I believe to be planting evidence very often. Right, um, right. I mean, literally, less than less than you know the fingers I have in one hand. But okay. if you're dealing with if you're dealing with trace evidence, all you have to do is take yes. two items of clothing and rub them together. I wouldn't know. Yes. I would have no idea. Um, but I once did a case in Edinburgh, and this was <laughs> you really couldn't make this up. Um, <laughs> so, so there's a kind of case of I think it was a kind of case of domestic violence, essentially. Mm. But it was an attack at home. Whether the vic the gender of the victim, I don't recall, but I think it was a woman. The person accused was a man, and the weapon mm. was a Welsh love spoon. Right, it's going to get it's going to get silly, so get ready for it, you So Welsh love spoon is a kind of wooden carved ornate spoon that you hang up a wall. You don't use yeah. it as a spoon. It's a, the yeah. size of a. My grandparents spoon. had that for some reason. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely okay, and. So that was the weapon. Yeah. Uh, presumably fists as well and other things, but yeah. that's that a bit. And in those days, uh, in, uh, the label, because you have to have a label on an item, it has to be, because that then is your reference and that's what is used in court. The label yeah. was tied on to these items. It was tied on to these items of Scotland with a piece of string. Mm. So, you know, if it was a knife, there would be a, a piece of string around it. Actually, a knife's a bad example because knife's too dangerous to do that with. But an item of clothing, yeah. you would tie you would tie the label through the the back of the label of the item of clothing. So the label is tied onto this love string, and underneath the string, held in place by the string, mm. is a tough a tuft of human head hair. Right. And I think you're having a laugh. You know, this is what you know. It's not a tuft of hair that's been pulled out of somebody's head where all the roots are at one end. Right. It's a kind of it's a kind of clump of hair that you might find where your teenage daughter has spent the last four hours brushing her hair, and it's right. this is a kind of clump of hair lying on the carpet. <laughs> right. Uh, so this is only there because that string is holding it there. Right. There is no way on earth. That Jeez. that is there, right? Yeah. So uh, so I go to my boss. My boss was a real star. He said, "Well, it's nothing to do with me. You need to sort it out." Um, he's the head of the lab. He was in Egypt, mind yeah. you. So I, I didn't yeah. expect much more than that. So yeah. I then went to the head of CID mm. and said, "I don't. I really like this. Uh, you know, it's." And he said, "Look." This is all wrong. We can't be doing with this. It doesn't work for anybody. It's not in the interest of us or anybody else to plant evidence. I'll sort it out. He picks the phone up and I'll leave. Fantastic. Sorted. Brilliant. I go up to the lab, which is a couple of floor, floors up. Mm. And somebody then says about 10 minutes later, there's a phone call for you, for you. I pick it up and it's the cop in the case. So even the head of CID has just phoned the cop and said, "You need to sort this out with Fraser." Oh right. He's not said. He's not said. Fraser said this. This is planted. What what's going yeah. on? Yeah. It's just said you need to sort this out. So he's he's handed the problem back to me. So this cop wow. turns up at the lab, and uh, and it's just completely bizarre. Right? He's basically yeah. said, "Oh yeah, well, I, well that's how I found it." Well, what? And then that. I said, what, so you saw the hair on there when you picked this up? And he said, yeah. well, no, because the lights weren't on and it was dark. And I'm thinking, huh? well, it's just getting more and more stupid by the minute. You know, it was yeah. dark. 
So you, but you found it in the dark and you tied the label around it in the dark and that held the hair on it. And, that, and I thought, oh, no. And off he went. And I thought, I don't know what to do now. And in the past, I had a tactic. This is back to your idea of, you know, kind of learning the, the, learning the craft. Yeah. You know, when you get, one of the ways you can deal with that is that you just, normally when you describe items that you get in the lab, you, it's, it's fairly superficial. It's just, just enough to let people know that this is a knife or a pair of jeans or a, or a cup or a, you know, whatever. Mm. So in this instance, <clears throat> I described it in a lot of detail. This was a Welsh love spoon on the Welsh love spoon held in place by the string label was a tuft of hair, described yeah. the hair, all that in my report, hoped I would never hear about it again. Yeah, And of course, a few months later, I get a phone saying, oh, you're needed at Edinburgh High Court, which yeah. is the equivalent to the Crown Court in London. I get the yep. file and I go, oh, no, it's that case. But, well, what can I do? You know, that's... Yeah. I've I've done my best. I've I've went to my I've went to the head of the lab. I've went to the head of CID, and they're not helping me. I'm going to have to say in court if I'm if the question is such. Yeah, I think this is planted. Mm. I get mm. into court, and and they go through all the items, and then they skip over that one. And I think, oh, leaving it. Oh no, they're leaving it to the end. They go, you know, mm. a classic another classic aspect of court is they leave the interesting bit right to the very end yeah. <laughs> you know and then you think you've an easy time then all of a sudden they kind of fire this question at you they're leaving it to the end and I, and I, and then we get to the we get to the end of all the other items and the prosecutor just sits down and the defense just saying no questions and of course what had happened was I, i'm guessing now is the prosecutor went to the defense and or the defense went to the prosecutor and said you 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 use that in, as evidence, and I will basically cross-examine Fraser mm. about how that got there because it's quite it's quite clear he believes this is okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and they both they obviously both agreed to just drop it. So it turned out that all this anxiety was about nothing. But so that's the. That's one example of of a tiny number of instances where I felt there was contamination. And yeah, it was. I mean, again, a story you couldn't make up. Frankly, it was just ludicrous. Um, yeah, how how the cop thought he was going to get away with it, I, I can't imagine. It wasn't a cop I knew. I'd never oh, right. worked for them before. Yeah, but uh, so then what? What happened to the cop? Did he get, did he get caught? Did he get what happened to him? No, nothing happened to him. I can't imagine anything happened to him. <laughs> what was his motive was another, for, for planting well, the well, evidence? Let me let me go let me go on to another case which is much more serious. Okay, so okay. almost the very first I, I moved from London to Edinburgh. Almost the very first time I gave evidence mm. in court, the guy in the dock was a cop, and he was in the dock because of me, <laughs> because basically um, <laughs> I just I just I just told it like it was. I just said. No, you didn't. You didn't send me on that date. You sent me on another date, uh, and it caused a huge fuss. The case was dropped for the moment, reconvened. He was charged with something. I gave evidence against him, geez. and then later on, the case came back into court. Now, again, I'm talking yeah. these things as if they happen all the time. That was enormously, interesting. and I have here because that will want here. That, this is a copy of my file. And when I went in, stood in the witness box, 
Normally, they would give you what they call productions in Scotland, what they call exhibits in England. So yeah. an item of clothing, is this the item you to maybe one? You know, is this the knife? Yes. So the first item I was handed in the in witness box was my own file. <laughs> this was the <laughs> evidence in the case. Oh, my gosh. And, and because of that, I've got a copy of the file, which is unusual. Right. Oh, that's so this fun. is my, this is a this is a copy of my original file with all the all my original <laughs> notes and all the rest of it because it was a it was an exhibit in case. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, I guess we'll. We, I need to kind of start wrapping up here, but it's just a couple more questions. Sure. So, uh, you know, you've worked on a lot of different cases. Some, you know, and and you know, it's it, as you mentioned earlier that that kind of you finished a, a trial once and you don't even remember getting home. Um, so I do sort of wonder about the kind of the the mental and physical strain of investigations and and how do you I suppose how 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 do you, what what tactics or or you know whatnot do you have to to cope with the 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 stress of it you know like do you detach yourself from it like how do you detach yourself I guess and re remain well, sane? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the stress on scientists is nothing like as much as it is on cops. Sure, uh, yeah, because, sure. Because because you're usually one step usually one step removed that yeah that depends though because for example when i worked for kent police sometimes mm. i wasn't one step removed sometimes i was there at the crime scene doing yeah doing the work as well yeah. um how do you how do you deal with this uh, the the kind of example or the analogy i always use is healthcare workers or paramedics you know doctors mm. nurses these are people dealing with horrible things day in day out yeah yeah Arguably, arguably more horrible than I experience because this is going to sound this is going to sound horrible. I'm going to say it anyway. At, at least the bodies I'm looking at are dead. They're, yeah. they're not. They're not dying. They're not dying slowly dying yeah. um, in front of me. Um, yeah. But by the time I get there, they're dead. Now there is one exception to that, and it's children. And it, there's something that the body of a dead child does that is kind of. Yeah, it just, it just cut. It just cuts into something that you can't quite protect. Yeah. Um. So my answer is that you're too busy. You're so busy focused on the job mm. to to get too engaged in the in the heavy emotion. Mm -hmm. That not to say it never arises. And mm. my my take on it, looking back four decades, is, and I think maybe some young senior investigators and forensic scientists should think about this is mm. i think there is always a price to pay for this mm. um i don't i don't mean uh I, it's, it's caused me i don't mean it's keeping me awake at night or it's causing me enormous stress or or whatever i don't think you know what it's doing to you because mm. you see a very graphic version of the world yeah, that most people are very happy not to see, and yeah. very happy to engage with it via crime fiction because it yes. means them cozy up to it and then yeah. walk away from it. Yeah, and you know if you're in it, you can't walk away from it, and you have to live with it. Yeah, and to a, to one degree or another, everybody who does that pays some kind of price. It might be in your relationships, it might mm -hmm. be in your family. It might be in your future work. It might be in your mental health. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't think you can do that for, uh, you know, like three or four decades in the same way. Yeah. 
it's not it's not um, uh, coincidence that cops, you know, work for years and have to retire. Yeah, you know, that is a, and they take you know they take the they take the stress much much higher for cops because they're dealing with all this. They just deal with human mayhem and madness every day yeah. of the week. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's about doing your job, you know, remaining sufficiently detached, not totally detached. Yeah. Um, and kind of managing any consequences that arise from it. I mean, I do know one guy I worked with who is the my deputy agent started to have flashbacks about a case he was involved in. Oh wow. You know, and that's a classic sign of PTSD. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, within a couple, I think within 18 months, he was out of the job. And oh, it was a wow. very painful, a very painful going for yeah. me and for him because he was my yeah. deputy. Oh. So I think there is a price to pay. And I think you have to figure out how that, how you pay that price. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can imagine, I, man. That, that's, yeah. As you do in many other stressful and difficult roles as say healthcare is a good example yes yeah 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 it's true um this is this has been fantastic i've really enjoyed this uh, this conversation jims thanks for thanks for coming on and uh walking me through all the all the ins and outs that we could uh, that we get into um for anyone who doesn't know, you have some books out there, including uh, Forensic Science and uh, Murder Under the Microscope, which are both fantastic. Um, is there any, are, are you working on anything now? Is anything uh, anything new coming out? What are you, what are you doing? I've got uh, one book, which is The Agents at the Minute, which is about uh, a huge UK um, operation to look for serial killers. So I'm Ooh, still waiting to get some developments on that. It's the mm-hmm. the largest UK search for serial killers that's ever taken place. And mm-hmm. it's pretty much there's pretty much nothing out there on it. And I've got loads of primary materials and I've yeah. had so I had some direct involvement in it. And then the next book I plan to write um, after that, I'm assuming that I'm gonna get that one published <laughs> when I find a <laughs> publisher. Um will be about being an expert witness. What, what we started talking about at the, in the opening of yes. the session, uh, what it's like to actually be an expert, to be in court, dealing with lawyers, dealing yeah. with cops, walking that line. Because an expert, just without taking too much time, cops are, are, are allowed to be advocates. Lawyers yeah. are allowed to be advocates. Witnesses are witnesses. They are allowed to be advocates. They say what they saw. Expert mm. witnesses are allowed to express an opinion, but mm. that opinion is for the benefit of the court. So if you yeah. work for the police, your duty is to the court. And all I'll say is that's a, quite a tricky line to walk. Yes. <laughs> it causes yeah. a lot of tension and a lot of difficulty in yeah. various relationships where people oh, want you imagine. to say one thing and you realise that you can't say that the evidence means something else so that's what i'm hoping to write about you know two books down the line i mean both of these sound fantastic i would i i hope both of them come out quickly because i i would i would love to read both i don't don't think they'll be out quickly (laughs) notwithstanding my desire to do so i I don't know about (laughs) you but i find the writing process quite attractive and difficult 
I do actually. Yeah, I I have great. I well, I say great ideas. Not you know, there there are ideas that I like that I I have, and I try to put them on paper. And it does take a while. I'm I'm not a fast writer. I wish I was. I need to get better uh, if I can. But yeah, I I I tend to write slowly for some reason. But it's the old it's the old um, adage uh, cliche. Um, it's five percent inspiration and ninety five percent perspiration. You know, it's yeah. The ideas, my idea, ideas come to me easily. Uh, yeah, you know, actually yes. converting the ideas into something that yep. somebody's willing to publish and others are willing to read is is where the slog is, and where the it skill is. is, arguably. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So for people who might want to, to look you up online, where, where can people find you? Or, or you know, you're on social well, media, just, but. Yeah. But if you search for Jim Fraser, you'll pick my website up. Yep. You'll pick up my academic website as yep. well as my personal website. That will give you some links to some, uh, my books, some of our other work that I've done, what it won't give you links to because I've not got around to doing it yet is I've done about, in a couple of years, I've done about 20 TV programs. So there's lots of uh, yeah. stuff on on broadcast media. And I've got yeah. a podcast out this week, which I, I haven't listened to yet. I was interviewed about, which is the Gareth Williams case, the, the MS right, guy yes. who was. Yes. So that's on BBC right now. So I, I was awesome. interviewed for that. So I assume I'm in there somewhere. Nice, nice. Um, also, for anyone listening uh, on Spotify or Apple, there will be links to Jim's websites um, and books in the description. Same with same with if you're watching on YouTube. So all that all that will be there, or a good a good number of things will be there for you to uh, track Jim down and his work. And it's it's worth looking into if you have a, a interest in forensic science or you what you're writing crime fiction or some sort of story that involves this kind of stuff. His, his resources are incredibly helpful. Um, but yeah, this was a lot of fun uh hope to bring you back there's um there's loads of other ideas i have that i could bring you back for so uh hopefully we can do that in be the, very in happy the to do future. it uh, wonderful. it was a pleasure thank you okay. uh and everyone thanks for tuning in and i will see you uh next week see you later the secret Center.